All right. Okay. We have, hey, let me just call to your attention, on your table, there's National Day of Prayer. You know that comes up on Thursday. We just want to let you know that uh, our church, our conference center, which is just right above here, is going to be open from 10 o'clock until 3 o'clock. And uh, you can come and go at any time. There's not a specific program. It's just come on in and take some time in prayer. So if you're looking for a spot to go to, we'd love to have you come and join us and take any of that time uh, to lift up the various requests uh, for our country. So that's that is what we'd love for you to do. Now, I'd like for you to take your blue sheet, uh, which is entitled Lessons Learned from Ernie Andrus, a 92-year-old coast-to-coast runner. Back in um, 2001, back in 2001, uh, I did a talk on the LST-325. The LST-325 is a um, called a landing ship tank is what it's called. It's those big boats that open up at the front, open up. Uh, you remember seeing pictures of them and uh, the D-Day invasion in Normandy. Uh, you could put about 20 Sherman tanks in there plus other vehicles and about 160 men. And the LSTs were, uh, were very valuable in World War II. And um, once they got uh, through the Vietnam War, then they really had no use for them. And so they began to just give them to other countries or sell them whatever. And there became a group of sailors that said, uh, you know, this is a part of our history. We need to get an LST, we need to refurbish it, and we need to get it back home and let it be a memorial, let it be a World War II memorial. And so a group of veterans, uh, average age 74, went over to Crete where they found an LST-325, and they worked on it for a number of months. And after they worked on it, they got it, and they felt like pretty good condition to be able to sail across the Atlantic. I think it's about a 4,600-mile journey to sail it across the Atlantic. And on November 14, 2000, there were 32 sailors on board, average age 74, average age. So some of them are in their 80s and some are, are upper 60s. And they sailed from November all the way until January 10th. And on January 10th, they arrived in Mobile Bay. And when they arrived in Mobile Bay, they expected maybe 500 people to be there, but it was closer to maybe 5,000 and more people. The story had gotten out, people cheering for them when they came in. It was an amazing story. So I did a power lunch talk on it, and then I did one later on when they had an update on it. And I've always been fascinated by this and this group of men and what they did. Well, then I was reading a Runner's World magazine back in around February, and I saw this article on a guy by the name of Ernie Andrus. And it says, Ernie Andrus was one of the men who went to work on that LST. He was a hospital corps man who was on an LST during World War II. And uh, his desire was that this LST, which has already been set up as a museum, that they would get it in good enough working order to sail back across the Atlantic and to be at Normandy for the 75th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. And they wanted to take the boat and let it dock up on the bay where it was and then to carry it back home. But that costs a lot of money to do that. So he wanted to come up with an idea as to how to raise money. So his idea he came up with was that he was going to run from the Pacific coast to the Atlantic coast. He was 90 years old, and he lived around the San Diego area. He had two homes, one in Prescott, Arizona, and one in, uh, uh, near San Diego. So he started on uh, October uh, 7th of 2013. He touched the Pacific 
and he began to do a cross-country run to get to the Atlantic. I'm opening up Runner's World magazine back in around February, and I saw this article, and they said he was in Mississippi at that time. And so I went online, figured out uh, his trajectory, and he goes, he would run three days a week, Monday, Thursday, and Saturday. He would try to average anywhere from 18 to 20 to 24 miles a week. So each run would be about six to a little bit more miles. So he'd get 18, 20 miles. So I realized that I had a conference coming up in Florida, down near Destin, the middle of April. So I trajected, I did a little trajectory along the highway, figuring out how many miles, his speed, where he'd end up, and where I was going to be at that time. And uh, the Funiac Springs, y'all know where that is? I felt like he was going to be there almost the exact same time that we were going to be down here at, uh, at Watercolor, okay? It's where the conference was, and that's just not that long of a drive. Well, the guy went faster than I thought, and he got past the Funiac, and he was over there near Bonifay, okay, which is about 20 miles, 25 miles uh, east of that. But, uh, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And uh, he has a Facebook page. You can keep up with his runs, and he's consistent. He does the same thing. That is, if you're going to run with me, meet me at 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, this is, what, this is the plan that he has. He lives in an RV, and he's got a car that he pulls along with it. And he goes, drives it to a spot, and when he runs, he gets to a spot, he gets in his car, and he drives another six miles and figures out a good spot to end. He puts a little sign down and says, Ernie ends his run here, and he puts a sign here and says, Ernie begins his run. So he knows where to begin, where to end. You meet him at the end, and he was at the post office at Bonifay, Florida. So I got up about 5 in that morning, uh, got ready, drove over there, got there a little before 7 o'clock. Sure enough, he's sitting in his car. And so as he's sitting in his car, I get with him catch him at, at seven o'clock. He says, let's wait, see if anybody else shows up. Nobody did for a few minutes. He says, you leave your car and we'll get my car. We drive his car to the starting line. We do our walk and when we finish the walk, then we get back in my car and I drive him back. That's the way he does it the whole, whole time. So, uh, so I met Ernie Andrus and this is the picture of, uh, of Ernie. And so this is 92 year old Ernie Andrus at this time. And uh, then this is his car. This is the car that he has. And you see painted along the side is the LST 325. And so that, that's him. And that's, that's on a fast day uh, for Ernie uh, over here. And, and so we met, we talked, and then we did our walk. And the way that it, it happens is you drive back to the start, you wait till about 7.30, and a, a sheriff or a policeman will come along in his car. We get out of the car, we start walking, and, and you just start heading up, and then you've got a police escort that's right behind you just so you don't get run over. So you're going along the shoulder of the road. Now, Ernie, the way it started is he, he did this. He kind of, and then it was walk, okay? Uh, so, so. We jogged for maybe 15 seconds, and I kind of did a jog in place, you know. And then I finally said, why are you doing it? Just walk. All right, so we walked, and a little over two and a half hours or whatever to, to go through, and we completed 5.85 miles, and it was just me. He has an American flag. I've got an American flag. And we carry our flags, and we're walking all the way, 5.85. So for two and a half hours or so, I'm sitting there just I'm walking and talking to this guy. And after we get there, we're going to tell you a little bit some things that happened with the finish. And then uh, I drove him back. I said, you want to get something to eat? So we went and had lunch and got to sit and talk to him. A total, the whole time of meeting with him was about five hours of with this guy. Incredible man, 92-year-old World War II veteran. So when I got back from it, I said, what did I learn from this talk? 
So I've given you some things that not just that I learned, but I think every one of us can learn just some lessons in life that we learned from Ernie Andrus, 92-year-old, coast-to-coast runner. Number one is this. You're never too old to dream and to pursue it. See, a lot of people will have dreams, but they never pursue it. For Ernie, this was a dream he had, okay? He had a dream, and he says, I'm going to try to make this happen, and then he pursued it. He didn't just talk about it. He pursued it. You said, well, gosh, he's been this big, long-distance runner. He really never did a run until he was 61 years of age. Now, he said he ran someone in his 40s, but he didn't really do any races. But he was 61 years old. He retired. And when he retired, he didn't have anything to do, so he said, I'm going to run. So he ran a 10K. And then he told me, he says, I ran everything. There was nothing else to do. I was retired, 5K, 10K, you name it, I'm running it. So we started running that. He didn't do a half marathon until, and I believe I'm correct on this, until he was 87 years old, okay? So now he's getting ready to run over 2,000 miles over years, and he's, the furthest run he'd ever done is really 13 miles, okay? And that was a half marathon. He did it at 87. He also did it at, at 89. And it's really funny because when he got in races, he always wanted to win. And so when he got into some of the races and he got up in his 60s, these younger 60-year-old guys were beating him, so we stopped running them. And he waited until he got to be 70, and when they set a separate uh, section for 70 and above, he then ran again because he could win. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, Ernie, the great thing about getting older is when you get older, the field gets smaller. And, uh, and man, you can win all kind of awards. And at 87, he was the number one on the half marathon, uh, on there. So, uh, so you're never too old to dream and to pursue it. So just hold on to that. Okay. You don't, it's not like you get to a certain age in life and say, I can't dream anymore. This guy was 90 when he says, I'm going to do this. All right. Number two, set a smart goal. S-M-A-R-T. Set a smart goal. Let me give you what that acronym means. The S is specific. Be specific. He set a specific goal. I'm going to go from the Pacific to the Atlantic. Number two, it needs to be measurable. Measurable. And when he says measurable, you've got to be able to measure so you know if you've accomplished it. His is measurable. He knew exactly where he was going to start. He was going to end at St. Simons Island in Georgia. Number three is achievable. It needs to be something that's achievable. You're saying, gosh, how does he know if this is achievable? He felt pretty good. He felt like he could achieve this. He took his time. He mapped it out. He planned it out. He could do it. Relevant. The goal needs to be relevant. Relevant to whatever your long-term mission is. His long-term mission was to raise money for the LST, so it was very relevant. And last of all, it's time-based. He knew what his time base was. His desire was to be able to touch the Atlantic when he turns 93. His birthday is August 19th, and he's planning on being in St. Simons Island on August 20th. He would be 93 years old, the, the oldest man to ever go from Pacific to Atlantic. There's another man that did it who was a whole lot younger. He was 73. He's in the Guinness Book of World's Record. He's getting ready to beat that by 20 years. And uh, Janice talked to me and said, this is something she thought I'd want to do when I'm on my third wife after the other two have died. <laughs> and I said, you know, it may be, but I just don't know if I'm going to beat the 93-year-old record or not. So we will, we will have to see. And, and we say that because uh, he's outlived three wives, okay? And uh, so uh, he, this guy is just incredible. Number three, just get moving. Now, this just get moving. So the hardest thing on any project is what? Getting started, get moving. 
This is a 92-year-old man who has pains in parts of his body that we don't even know exist. And he told me all the pains and stuff he got. He says, but you know what? Once I get up and I start moving, I'm going. I feel great. None of these things hurt. When he stops, the pain is there. He says, I just got to get out of bed and get moving. And he gets up every morning, 3 in the morning, okay? So he's set. He's got his thing. He's got about a 30-minute exercise regime he's been doing ever since the 1960s. And, uh, and, and he's got his regiment down. But his key is, he says, you just got to get moving. You know, that's true in anything in life that a lot of times if you're sitting around and saying, you know, I wish, I wish, just get moving, okay? Just get moving. Number four, be resourceful. Be resourceful. Now, if you're going to do this type of trip, you've got to be very resourceful. But he was resourceful his whole life. I was fascinated to hear about his, him going into the, into the Navy. I mean, his story was that he and a, another guy were out picking up chicks uh, about 18 years of age, and they heard that Pearl Harbor had been bombed. And he said, where's Pearl Harbor? They didn't know where it was. But you know what they said? I think this means war. Let's go sign up. And so he was to sign up, and his desire was to fight for his country. And so I heard that part of the story, and then we get another 30 minutes, and he comes back and says, well, you know, I had a kind of a lazy eye problem, so, I, you know, so they rejected me. And so I took the eye test, and they rejected me. And I took it a second time, they rejected me. Took a third time, they rejected me. Took a fourth time, they rejected me. Took a fifth time, they rejected me. Took a sixth time, and they accepted me. I said, wow, why is that? He says, I memorized the eye chart. <laughs> and I said, I said, that's great. And, uh, and he said, you know, I, I knew I didn't want to shoot anybody, and I didn't want to get shot at, so I was going to be a hospital corpsman. And so you work on the boat and working with, with the hospital, with the people that are wounded. He says, I wanted to do that. And I lived near the San Diego area, and there was a hospital right there that we could have worked in, and that's where I wanted to be uh, assigned. But, uh, but there are a lot of choices out there, and, and my friend got that hospital, and I said, I want to work with you. He says, how can I do that? He says, well, you know, y'all got to take a test. You go through some training, then you take a test. And at the final test, whoever makes the highest score is the one that gets to choose where they want to go. He said, well, it's not going to be me. He said, I'm not smart at all. He says, no, what you do is you get $20, and you look out and find out who the smartest guy in the class is, give him 20 bucks, and say, do this for me. If you win, if you, do, you have, do you care where you go? And the guy says, no, I don't care where I go. I'm from, they're from all over the country. I really want to get the one in San Diego. So I'm going to give you 20 bucks, and if you are the highest score and you get to choose, will you choose that hospital and then give that to me and I can do that? He took two $20 bills tried to figure out who he thought was the smartest ones, gave it to two different guys, and sure enough, one of the guys walked up to him and said, hey, here's your hospital choice. I've got it for you. I was number one in the class. I said, you're incredible. So you just, you got to be resourceful, all right? And he learned this early in his life, and there's thousands more stories that we don't have time to tell about how he was resourceful in his life, uh, even how he got his job. Oh, we're going to go too long. I can't do that. Okay, number five. Keep priorities when pursuing a dream. Allow for interruptions. Now, this is really important because, you see, when you read biographies of great men or women, you read about the accomplishments they make, but then you get the underbelly, and they lost their family, they lost their health, and, and it just takes a little bit of the shine off the accomplishments that they made. 
Now, this is a man who's, when you're in your 90s, I just got to let you know, every day is not a guarantee, okay? And, and you could say, I'm going to be so focused that I've got to get to the end that I'm not going to let anything interrupt. Well, the first interruption you're going to say is a duh. That is, he was a month into it and his wife passed away. So naturally, he took time off, all right? So he did take time off, and he was there with her. He was there with her at her bedside uh, for, the, for the last week of her life, and then she died and after the funeral. Then he went back, and he did this on his own. See, originally, his wife was going to be with him. She's going to be riding with him. So now he's doing it on his own. But now also... When there are special events that take place, he just puts it in his schedule and takes advantage of those special events. Uh, there's something called the uh, Whiskey Row Marathon. It's in Prescott, Arizona. And every year they give an Al Clark Award. Al Clark's a guy who died when he was 89. He was running marathons at the age of 80. And so they loved him there in Prescott. And he impacted so many people's lives. Every year they give an award to some runner who uh, typifies the spirit of Al Clark. Well, this is a scoop because no one else knows this yet, but um, Ernie is going to get that award. It's going to be on May 13th. So what he's doing is he is almost in Tallahassee. He's close to Tallahassee. When he gets to Tallahassee, he needs someone to drive him to the airport. He's got an airplane ticket, and he's going to fly out to Prescott, and he's going to receive that award, and he's going to fly back, and he's going to start walking up again. And then sometime in June, he's got a granddaughter graduating from uh, boot camp, Marine boot camp. And so he's going to take time out. It's going to be up there. He's going to spend time where then come back. I, you know, I just love that for him because it's easy for us to pursue our dreams and not allow for any interruptions. Keep your priorities in line. Number six, know your limitations. Know your limitations. I say that. Clint Eastwood says that. All right? A man's got to know his limitations. So, but know your limitations. You know what his limitations are? <laughs> we walk, and as we're walking, we get to the post office. Okay? It's across the street. So we're going up there, and he's, he's gauging on his watch. Yep, 5.85 miles. That's it. That's good. So now we got to cross the street. And I start across the street. He said, whoa, we got to stop. He says, you got to hold on to me. I said, okay. He says, because when I stop, I get dizzy and I fall over. <laughs> And he says, so you got to hold on to me. I said, I got you, brother. So we're walking across the street. And I said, oh, don't let him follow my watch. Don't let him follow my watch, you know. So we walk across the street. And so we walk across the street. This is where we did. I took him and I placed him against my car. And there he is. And he's talking to a bunch of fifth graders. That's who's there. You can't see the picture of him. But a bunch of fifth graders are waiting on him. And so later on, then I got my picture with him. And uh, we got a flag. And we, we survived. And uh, this is a 92-year-old man after 5.85 miles walking uh, about two and a half hours on there. It's just, just amazing. So you got to know your limitations. And he knew. And he was going to be as safe as possible. He said, I know the things that I'm limited in. Number seven is this. Honor those who deserve honor. Now, every one of us can do this in our life. We need to honor those who deserve honor. Think into your own uh, sphere of influence of people that need to be honored. And will you do that? Will you take some moments and honor them? His purpose was to honor those who fought in World War II. His purpose was to honor those sailors that were with the LSTs. And his purpose was to honor those who didn't come home. To sit and talk to a World War II veteran who usually don't talk a whole lot about, about the war, it was pretty emotional to see him get choked up at times as he talked about good friends that signed up the same time he did, but they didn't make it home. And to talk about those sailors and the impact that they had, their bravery and the courage uh, of, of, uh, of the sailors, of the captains. And so I'm hearing story after story, and he wants to honor them, and, and he did that. And April 18th was the day that we ran. 
And he wrote in his Facebook page the day before, he says, April 18th, a famous day, 74th anniversary of Doolittle's Raiders. And Doolittle's Raiders were the people, if you ever saw the movie called 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, is where um, Pearl Harbor had been bombed in December of 41. And uh, all of a sudden, this is, I think, April of, of uh, 42, uh, they were going to do the first bombing raid on Tokyo. It's kind of like a payback. And they asked for volunteers, and it was a suicide mission because of the planes they were flying, and from the distance it was going, they did not have enough fuel to make it and come back. So your only hope was to go drop your payload and then crash somewhere maybe in China because China was friendly and would help them or ditch in the bay or something and just try not to get caught. And they had over 20 pilots that volunteered and said, we'll go on that. And, uh, and just to hear him talk about that, he almost tears up. And, and he said, you know, these are brave soldiers that did this. We got to honor these type of people. And uh, I asked him, I said, what's been your biggest surprise as you've done this walk? He said, my biggest surprise is that people will come up to me, children come up to me and say they've never met a World War II veteran before. And you know, as time moves on, you realize that's about 70 years ago. And uh, sure enough, when we started, at the when we were at the post office finishing our race, there was a bunch. There was a fifth grade class there, and they all had their signs: "Hey, Ernie, USA," and and none of them had ever met a World War II veteran, and so they came out to meet a World War II veteran. Okay, we need to honor those who deserve honor. Number eight is this: be a hero to someone. Be a hero to someone. Wouldn't you love to live your life in such a way that you're a hero to someone? He said, uh, Danny, the people that have been inspired by me doing this over the years is is just kind of crazy. He said, there's a 25-year-old man who right now is doing Pacific to Atlantic, coast to coast. And the reason he's doing it is someone gave him an assignment and said, pick out a hero in your life. And he said, Ernie Andrus is my hero, and so I'm going to do what he's, what he's doing on there. He says, people have met him and said, I'm going to start exercising. Some people said, I'm going to start taking risk. Uh, other people are saying, I'm going to do some things different in my life because of all of this. I'm going to start running. I'm going to exercise. I'm taking risk. All these things just because of what he's doing. So just be a hero to someone. Number nine is this. And this is where I always get a regret at times. Do things that one day you would regret not doing. I want you to think about that. Do things that one day you'll regret not doing. Mark Twain made this statement. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bowline, sail away from safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. When I read about this in February, I told Janice, I want to run with this guy. I want to just be with him and do this. And as I was tracking where he was going, it was getting further and further from where I thought he was going to be. And I remember wrestling with it as I was doing the drive down to Florida. And then I kept saying to myself, I says, Danny, you're an idiot. I said, why would you not do this? What do you mean just an extra 20 minutes or 25 minutes? And I said, you got to do this. Something you'll always regret if you didn't do it. And, and so I did it. And I'm just thankful I am. You're going to go through life. Opportunities are going to be placed in front of you. You're going to think you want to do it. And then you don't know. It's going to pass you by. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to live with regrets and, man, I wish I'd done that. Okay? All right. Number, number 10, sometimes you have to go with your heart. Sometimes you got to go with your heart. We got, oh, gosh. Okay, real quick. Uh, this is a story about his brother. He's telling me about his brother's younger brother. Younger brother, 17 years old, 1944, and he meets this girl, 15-year-old girl, at a skating rink, and he's just smitten by her. And at the same time, he was supposed to go into the Navy. 
And so there was a boat that he was supposed to be on called the Lexington, and it was going to be leaving in about three weeks. Well, all of a sudden, somebody came on shore, and they were started, had another boat that was going to be leaving in three months, and they gave him the opportunity to choose which boat he wanted to get on. He could either be three weeks or three months. He's got a 15-year-old chick that he's really excited about, so guess what he chose? three months so I could spend time with this girl. All right. He says he spent time with her for the three months and then he got on the boat and the boat he got on, the ship he got on was the West Virginia and the West Virginia battleship. In case you don't know about it, he says, my brother saw three of the most famous things that happened in World War II in the Pacific. Because he was on the West Virginia, he was there when MacArthur stepped off the boat and stepped onto the soil in the Philippines when he says, I will return. Remember when he told them, he says, we're leaving now, but one day I'm coming back. He was a part of the armada that was right there and saw MacArthur step onto the Philippines. On February 22nd, 1945, he was also offshore after they were shelling an island called Iwo Jima. And after the Marines took uh, Mount Sarabachi, as they were raising that flag, he was there on the boat offshore seeing the flag up and the flag waving in Iwo Jima. And on September 2nd, 1945, he was on the West Virginia that had just docked in Tokyo Bay and was able to go off ship and to stand and watch the Japanese on September 2nd to formally surrender on the battleship, the Missouri. His brother got to see all three of those because he went with his heart. He got out of the Navy. He came back home. He got in a bad relationship that didn't work, and he came back to Ernie. He says, what should I do in life? He says, I think i go look for that girl that was skating with you over there. <laughs> he said, good call. He went. He found her. She was still single, and they've been married for 70 years now. <laughs> so what a story. All right. <laughs> okay. Last of all, and this is what we got to explain. Last of all is great. Try and get your shoes off before you fall asleep. Try and get your shoes off before you fall asleep. We're halfway through our journey, and we're walking and we're talking. And, uh, and so I'm asking him about challenges and stuff. He says, well, you know, after I take a long walk and, and I get something to eat, and I go back, and I'll get back in the, in the RV or so, and I'll sit down to take my shoes off, and I fall asleep. <laughs> he said, I'll wake up like three hours later, and I'm still in my running clothes, and my shoes are still on. It just happens. I just fall asleep. I started thinking about that. And I said, you know, I'd love for my life to be that I got right to the point to where I had run hard, no regrets. I sat down and I had just enough time to take the shoes off, and I just fell asleep. And I thought about that Rascal Flatts song. Rascal Flatts has a song about when the sun runs out. And it's a song about a man that goes to a funeral, and he saw a friend uh, who had passed away, and he says, you know, he never did anything in his life. He never took a chance. He says, I'm going to change my life. And this is what he says. I'm going to stop looking back. I'm going to start moving on, learn how to face my fears, love with all my heart, make my mark. I want to leave something here. Go out on a ledge without any net. That's what I'm going to be about. Yeah, I want to be running when the sand runs out. I want to be running when the sand runs out. Listen, in our lives, man, wouldn't it be great to live life to the fullest so that when you're coming to the end of a day even or end of a month or even at the end of life, that when you're sitting on the bed, you're taking your shoes off, you got just enough energy to get the shoes off, and you just lay down and rest on that, okay? You know, he could do that and feel comfortable. You know why? Because he's a believer in Jesus Christ. He's a deacon in a Baptist church and a believer in Christ, and he knows where he's going to spend eternity. 
And so he's living life to the fullest, but he knows also that this is a short, short, short span. But for eternity, he knows to spend eternity in heaven because of his faith and commitment in Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, let's learn some lessons from Ernie. And I want to give you one final thing that you can write down. This is his website over here, uh, coasttocoastruns.com. If you go on online, he has not updated the first part of it. Don't worry about that. Just scroll down and you'll see a Facebook section that he updates every day. And that's where you can kind of keep up with him. Right now, he's almost in Tallahassee, Florida. And uh, April 20th, he's looking for St. Simon. So if you want to go on, on there, you can just keep up with Ernie Andrus. It's an amazing story. Okay? Hey, I want to thank all of you for being here. And let's go and be like Ernie Andrus. All right. Y'all have a great day. Thank you all.